I'm Frederick Gerten, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate. Leilani, we haven't seen each other for a while, but now we're back. And you know what? I'm in Berlin. The best place to be. It's been a, it's been a long time, Frederick. We haven't been on Zoom together with microphones, but Berlin is a good place to be rejoining. Yeah, because yesterday I was here, um, I'm actually still at the, the, the Bufa Film Studios in Berlin, and yesterday night, Sunday night, Sunday night, they had a big party celebration of the referendum here in Berlin, who was a, like a landslide win. And Leilani, I'm going to introduce you to a friend who I met here yesterday uh, at the election uh, celebration. It's Joanna Kusiak, who is the spokesperson for the campaign. So welcome, Joanna. Welcome. Good morning. <laughs> so how is it today after uh, it's, this is like a big thing that you achieved here in Berlin? Yeah, I mean, I um, I have to say, um, Leilani, you have all good reasons to be envy to you that you are in Berlin in this historical moment, I would say. Uh, I think on the 26th of September 2021, the privatization of housing in Germany is over. Wow. That's a statement. That is a statement, an incredible statement. So it's a, I mean, I saw some newspaper headlines here in Germany saying it's the end of the neoliberal era in, in housing. So that's, I mean, we're talking about 40 years of, of deregulations and privatizations. So it's a big moment, Leilani. It is a huge moment and huge for Berliners. And I, I can't wait to hear more about how you achieved this incredible success, but huge for tenants around the world struggling with the very same thing that you're facing in Berlin, the unaffordability of housing caused by the corporate capture of housing, we might call it. Mm. Uh, Joanna, can you just shortly for our listeners, just to short version of what this referendum was about? What did you ask for? Of course. Um, so yesterday we won a referendum, which is the strongest tool of direct democracy, uh, in which we asked for socialization of housing. And socialization is a legal term. I'm uh, about to explain it. What we want to do is we want to expropriate corporate landlords. So not all the landlords of Germany, but corporate landlords, uh, big corporations that owns huge portfolio of housing, at least 3,000 or more apartments. And they're uh, speculating with our housing on the financial uh, markets. And what we propose is to leverage Article 15 of the German Constitution, uh, um, to expropriate this housing, take it away from corporation and to also create a new system of managing this housing in a democratic way. So it's not just about taking housing away from corporation. It is also about creating new quality, new public institution that uh, would open a new era of managing housing in a democratic, inclusive and just way. From the outside, this sounds extremely radical. A lot of people will call it communistic and wave the flags. But then here in Berlin, 56 point something percent voted yes to this. And what I understand is in 
all districts of the city, there was a majority. There was like only two districts that there were not a majority, but even there, the yes campaign was really strong. So it's it means that a lot of voters to the traditional parties have also voted yes to this. I mean, voters who would go to the to the right, to the extreme right, to the center right, to the liberal, neoliberal right, to voters who are going voting for the social democrats and on. So it's this. I mean, Germany had election yesterday at national or local levels. This issue is now an issue that no politician can avoid. It's it's on the table. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, it's very radical, but I think one of the strength, biggest strength of our movement that it's uh, what we propose is at the same time radical and also radically lawful. So I think a good way of understanding of our movement is, um, is saying that it's a movement that has been both anti-systemic and pro-systemic at the same time. So on the one hand, we are anti-systemic because we do want to break with the now over 20 years, uh, almost 30 years tradition of privatization, financialization of speculating with housing on the financial market. So we are breaking what is considered normal in the current system. But at the same time, we are pro-systemic because we're using for it the tools that are embedded in the system. And also, it's not just a negative campaign. We propose also a positive campaign that is wrapped also in this expropriation claim. So we're using something that you could say is maybe the most conservative in this real meaning of the word conservative as something that is conserving the system. It is the German constitution. That's something that legally speaking upholds the system. So if someone says we're communist, uh, my answer to that would be we're only just as communist as the German constitution of the Federal Republic of Germany. Leilani, I see a smile on your, smile on your face. I wish the, all our listeners could see that smile because you're a lawyer and, and you like uh, that when we apply the law. I do. And, oh, there's so many things I like about what Joanna just said. But I, I particularly do like the idea of using law to progressive ends. And I hadn't thought of summarizing it the way you had, Joanna, about pro-systemic and anti-systemic, but I really like that framing. Law is not meaningful unto itself. Law is only meaningful when people take it, use it, and run with it. And what you've done in Berlin is the best example of that, to breathe life into a constitution and to breathe breathe life from the ground into the Constitution, from the grassroots movement. That's how law should work. And certainly that's what we say about international law. That's how it should work. And law is incredibly conservative. So to use the law to such progressive ends is wonderful. And it's to show that though law can be conservative, it can also move mountains and move corporations. <laughs> Yes. I mean, law is um, is the coding of capitalism. I mean, capitalism is coded by law. This is a brilliant argument of Katharina Pistor, um, who wrote this book, Code of Capital, where she shows how the whole neoliberal transformation is being created and maintained and upheld within the legal system. So um, as a researcher, I'm, I'm here both as an activist and as a researcher, my question was also, if law offers these tools, to which extent can we as a progressive social movements 
co-opt those tools because capitalism is very good at co-optation. So why shouldn't we also be able to co-opt the tools and to redirect the power that they have, the legitimacy that they have for progressive cause. Um, and indeed, this Article 15 was very important for the campaign, especially in the early stage, because bringing such a radical claim to the table was, of course, risky. But having the full symbolic legitimation of German constitution to support our claim really made it a game changer in a very short time. And we needed to be taken seriously uh, by all political parties, by uh, all the media, um, because, yeah, no one could say this is just some radical proposition from, from the street. This really came from the core of the system, but brought back to the system through the street, through us, through popular mobilization. And that's precisely what makes it exciting. I mean, we reclaim the housing, but we also reclaim the law. I think it's, it's really interesting. I mean, Berlin is a city of organized protest. This is a, a resilient city in many ways. But a lot of the time, um, protests are really outside of the system. It's like, fuck capitalism now, you know, <laughs> and, and that might be okay, but it's not really changing things. But you found a way to use the energy of fuck capitalism, but at the same time also working within the system, which I find quite inspiring. Of course, there's a lot of left-wing people here in Berlin that think you are too much into the system. So, of course, you get a lot of criticisms from the left. But at the same time, you, you're shaking the system in a way that no one's done before. Yeah, because I, I do believe that you need, need both, Frederick. I mean, you need to shake the system from both sides, from the inside and from the outside. And it is true that as much as we needed uh, Article 15 of the German Constitution, we also needed the radical, destructive, uh, old-school energy that came also with action, with, with bringing it uh, to the public, with spreading it. So you need both this, this component, uh, this, this negative component of protest and destruction and this positive component of proposing something. And only if you bring them together, then you basically tackle the system from the both sides. And that's what makes it particularly effective. I remember, um, and Frederick, you will remember well, Saskia Sassen in Push the Film asks me if I deploy the law in my work, if that's if I'm a, a legal academic, a legal practitioner. And she says exactly what you said, Joanna, which is that if we're going to fight this, we have to deploy the law because that's exactly what the neoliberal capitalist state has done, deployed the law to defend them. So I just, I thought that it's a nice tie with, with um, Push the Film and Saskia. But I have a question for you, which I get asked all the time. And in fact, just yesterday got asked on Twitter the same question. Do you consider what you're doing bringing down capitalism? Or do you consider what you're doing, what you've done, bringing down neoliberal capitalism and taming it? Well, I mean, it is a question of definition, but uh, I would say I consider what we, because there's always we, there's never just I, what we are doing is trying to make people's life better now. And that might mean both. That might mean it might be a, one of the steps long term to bring down capitalism. 
Maybe bringing down neoliberal capitalism is a step to bringing down capitalism. We don't know it. Maybe it's a step to new system that won't be called capitalism, won't be called socialism, will be called something else. I think it's very important to keep the imagination open and on both sides and political spectrum, a lot of people get very hooked on those definitions and that sometimes closes the imagination. And what is more radical, what is more revolutionary, what is the core of revolution? It's shaking the imagination. So if we close our imagination too early, we might be preventing revolution maybe. I, I love that answer, Joanna. It's, uh, I think it's very much about uh, and I think that's what you are sending out from Berlin now to the rest of the world. It's kind of now we can all dream bigger. Uh, we can see that things are possible. And because, you know, when we've traveled the world with the film and I, when we zoom around and talk to people, there are a lot of people who are optimists and fighting, but it's also a very defensive struggle. And when you all the time defend yourself, self, uh, you can get very tired and and like have this feeling of it's hopeless, you know, they are too powerful. Because we're talking about this extreme amount of global capital that is parking itself on top of our homes in our cities. It's a very, it's a very brutal force. And we are, so the, we are all up against something very, very heavy. So I think what you do is to, to give us the dreams back, you know, and I think that's, <laughs> that's what we need. Yeah, I'm with that 100%. I really loved your answer as well, This the idea of imagination and what, especially at this time in the world uh, when things are so uncertain, we need the dreams and the imagination to keep us going. And what happened in Berlin will keep a lot of people going for quite some time, I think. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit of the job that we are doing now, Leilani, is that we, through the film and through the shift and through the podcast, we are we are a part of connecting people around the world who are doing cool stuff in their cities, in their countries. And inspiration flies, good example flies. And uh, so, uh, I mean, and the, this kind of, you talked about expropriation as the very radical word, but we know, for example, that in Catalonia, they also have an expropriation law where actually the you can take apartments from banks who sit on empty apartments. I think Lisbon has also some kind of they're buying back uh, apartments from the short rental market. So there is stuff happening. Uh, and they're also buying it back to half of the, the market price. So there is movements going on that we haven't seen before. So I think we should keep talking to each other and keep connecting uh, activists and politicians and academics like you, Joanna, to, to each other. And I think that's, that will, will mean a lot. I think that's right. Uh, just to say that that's one of the things that the shift is trying to do. We're going to move to try to get the different organizers, tenants movements, and people living in financialized housing connected across the globe. Because I think the the potential power of a global movement to support and to tap into the domestic national movements could be quite incredible. And that's, for me, that's me dreaming. <laughs> my, that's where my imagination goes. So, but let's go to Berlin again, because 
No, you won. Yes. I mean, it's it's more than a million people who voted yes, and it. Uh, and uh, attendance at the polling stations were also really high. There is no excuse for the politicians to say this was like not for real. It is for real, 100%. So now there, there is a proposal for a new legislation. What will happen, do you think, Joanna? Well, we see the tide is already turning. So during our election campaign, we had, uh, of course, we, we asked all the politicians to position themselves in relation to our campaign. And um, several of them uh, were against it, considered it too radical, including, um, for example, Francisca Giffey, who with a high probability will become a Berlin new mayor. She's a politician from the SPD. Uh, I just saw a couple of minutes before our discussion that she uh, seemingly changed her mind and uh, she just gave a press statement that referendum needs to be taken seriously and they will starting to prepare this new law. Because um, legally and technically speaking, a referendum in Berlin is politically binding, it's not legally binding. This this means that there's no automatism. I mean, it's not that already by this vote, expropriation is already done. It's the government, the new government of Berlin will have to draft the law. Um, it is great, and we're embracing Francisca Giffey uh, saying that she is willing to start drafting this law. We will, however, uh, continue to be a well, negotiation partner and also a watchdog because, as we all know, in the process of drafting such law, a lot uh, can happen. So um, as a campaign, we drafted our own version of such law already some weeks ago. It's available on our webpage. It's a complex legal document written by um, legal experts uh, where we present in the legal now language how exactly we imagine socialization to happen. We also presented another uh, draft of a legal bill um, that considers the new institution that would manage this housing, how this institution should be constructed, how it should be democratically controlled um, with the details of the tenant, uh, and not just tenant, but also general population participation in decision making and, and making and so on and so on. Now, we very consciously drafted this law way before the referendum to have something ready as a benchmark for the negotiations to start. Now, of course, the Senate, uh, the Berlin Senate, the, the government of Berlin will propose their own law, but whatever they do, our proposal of such law is already on the table and that's our starting point for the negotiations. Mm. That's really cool. And Leilani, you remember we talked a lot about uh, the, the rent cap here in Berlin that was uh, taken by the, by the Berlin Senate. It was implemented, so people suddenly got a much lower rent, extremely, I mean, it was a big change in people's lives. Then this rent cap suddenly was challenged in a constitutional court that said that the city of Berlin can't kind of take these kind of decisions. So suddenly overnight, a lot of people had to pay back money. Some people up to four or five thousand euros. Also you, Joanna, have to pay back some money to your landlord. Uh, so, so that's like in some way you have a victory, but then you get you get hit. This win and this campaign is also extremely emotional because a lot of people felt, wow, now this high rent is going down. I can, I can stay in town. I can stay in Berlin. And then boom, it gets very expensive again. And now this win. So I think for it, it must be 
kind of tough for the politicians to not address this in a very direct way. How do you see that? Of course. And of course, our campaign was very emotional because what other type of resource is as intimate and as emotional as homes, especially um, in the year after the global pandemic, where we had to stay at our homes and uh, we felt very palpably how big difference it make. If we have a home, what kind of home we have? Is there enough space for everyone who's living there? Um, is there enough, do we have enough money after paying the rent? I mean, everyone felt it probably more than ever in this uh, in this year. So, of course, uh, it is highly emotional. It's legal. As as, um, as a relation of the rental mirror, the, the meet and decker, the, the rental freeze that was indeed reverted by the Constitutional Court. Another beautiful irony is that the solution that we're proposing, socialization, is on the one hand way more radical, but on the other hand, it's legally way less controversial. That's, uh, I, find, uh, I find it's a beautiful irony, um, and it is so for several reasons. I mean, first, it does have its own article in the Constitution. I mean, no rental regulation appears even in the constitution. So we have backing by the most important legal document uh, of uh, of the state. And it's part of the so-called Grundrechte in the constitution, which means like the, the ground foundational rights uh, that, uh, that we all have. So that's first. The second, on the other hand, it is legally speaking a complete tabula rasa. So this article has been there since constitution was written in 1949. But this clause has never, ever been legally implemented. That means there's no precedence. And that's also, among others, a good thing. Because um, in the end, with the rental freeze, the problem was not that the law was faulty. The law was actually perfectly fine. The reason to take it down was that it was not supposed to be implemented on the level of land that Berlin is. It was supposed to be implemented on the federal level because similar regulation has already existed on the federal level and therefore from this local level you, you cannot counter the federal level. Now because there are no precedents on any level when it comes to socialization definitely we are not susceptible to the same kind of argument. So, um, so there's that and also because um, we gained so much attention uh, during the first three years now of our campaign. Um, there were already several legal um, expertises ordered and large majority of them, seven out of nine, says quite clearly that it is legally possible, it is constitutionally possible. Of course, there will be some controversies and truly lawsuits uh, concerning the details, for example, how much the compensation should be and so on and so on. But as for socialization as such, it is legally possible. Because, Joanna, you asked for, you want this, the city to buy back over 200,000 apartments and, they, and you want the city to pay half of the market value? Is no, that no we don't. It's not true. And I will, I will uh, police your language, if I may. Please help me. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, it is in the end, the law is all about definitions and it is not a buyback. I know it's often translated into English as a buyback because it's a way of grasping it. But it is not buying, it's socialization, which is uh, completely different. So buying would be, there's indeed the German legal system differentiate between expropriation and socialization. 
Expropriation is the Article 14 of the Constitution, and it's a simple tool used on a small scale if you build a highway, for example, and need to expropriate a landlord. Now, socialization is different in many ways. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, it has to appear for the common good, it's done for the purpose of common good, and second, equally important, it has to appear on the large scale. It has to appear on the scale that influences the whole sector. These are the legal interpretations uh, existing. That means you cannot do it to one house, you cannot do it to even a small portfolio of housing. Uh, we propose it to doing it to at least 240,000 apartments. And I consciously say at least because as you know, uh, in modern capitalism, uh, sometimes we don't even know who owns what. And that's been the case in Berlin too. We, uh, we want to socialize all companies over 3,000 apartments. But as some of these companies uh, like Paris International, for example, have been uh, subdivided in uh, subsidiaries. Sometimes it takes, as in the case of Paris, it takes a journalist investigation to realize that it's not a small landlord, it's actually a giant. And uh, who knows, this um, similar discoveries might happen. That, that's why I'm saying at least 240,000 apartments, but this is significant share of the market. And the third condition for the socialization to be called socialization to happen is that this resources, this housing in this case, needs to be managed in the democratic way. So we also not talking about nationalization in a classical sense, where this housing would be moving into some kind of stiff company that is formally public, but maybe it's managed like a private company, because a lot of public companies are managed like private companies for profit these days. Um, I like, um, you know, um, Elinor Ostrom, a Nobel Prize winning economist, she always makes this point that if we speak about commons, we have to think both property and way of managing, because it's not only who owns it, but also how it is managed. And socialization is such a beautiful legal tool precisely because it has both of these components. So it needs to be big scale, it needs to be democratically managed, it needs to be done for the social good. And from all these three reasons, um, it is concluded that it cannot be a buyback. You cannot do it on the market price because if you just bought this apartment, which would mean if you pay the market price for it, that would not be socialization because it wouldn't fulfill all this criteria, especially the criteria of the of the public good. Mm. Leilani, that's it's a lot. It's kind of intense, isn't it? It's, it's intense. It's very it's it's really interesting. And I do appreciate the point about ownership and management. Um, I get asked that all the time. You know, should government just be building and managing housing and we all know that that is not democratic it never ends up being democratic um, and it's not necessarily the best role for government that there is something like the commons there is something the people tenants know how to manage there are associations of tenants who know how to manage community organizations etc um, who know how to ensure um, democracy within housing. So um, I, I, I particularly like that point. And I do think that that's been lost in translation, as they say. Um, I think there's been a lot about buying back and, oh, buying back below market 
rate, but you're actually talking about something even sort of more conceptual in a way. Uh, it's almost like a transference of some sort, um, a transfer back to the people. And um, I don't know. I, I'm not even sure that in, in English we have a good term for it. Um, we don't have this term socialization so much in, in the Commonwealth countries, for sure, in yeah, well, common f- law. F- um, feel free to borrow, you know, it's a wonderful yeah, term. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Joanna is also working. Just, oh, yeah, Joanna is also working as a researcher at Cambridge in in the UK at the university. So, so she is also part of a of a global uh, academic uh, world of who is deep into this. So you you have you have a deep knowledge, and it's really cool to have you on our podcast. And Leilani, you had a question. <laughs> I, well, one of the things I wanted um, just to note is the very interesting dynamic between city government and national level government. And this just keeps playing itself out everywhere I go, even in non-federal states and more central states. Although I live in Canada, which is a federal state, um, we have those same tensions. What is it possible for a city to do um, in light of constitutional jurisdiction of federal versus subnational governments. And I think it's interesting that it's playing out. And I, I think it's wonderful that the mayor has now, or the potential future mayor of Berlin has now come forward to say she actually does recognize the importance of this referendum and let's hope she surrounds herself with the very same lawyers, seven of nine lawyers (laughs) As she's drafting law um, to make sure that that you know she she can navigate these tricky um, um, waters. Yeah, and uh, you know I think if um, I think it's our role to take care. She is surrounded by this royal lawyers. As I said, we as a movement we keep this watchdog role, and uh, we're not gonna just sit and wait till Senate propose something. We're gonna be there, observe it, uh, comment on it, and uh, make sure that uh, we remain on the ball because we are responsible to uh, this amazing amount of people who voted for us. I mean, I think it's uh, also important to say in the light of yesterday's election that more people voted yes for socialization than for any political party. So we technically have more support and therefore more democratic legitimacy, I would say, than any of the political parties. That's really cool. Uh, I have to ask you, because we're talking about the spreading effect, an inspirational story going out to the world from Berlin, but what about the rest of Germany? Well, I mean, because there's a lot of other cities under the same kind of Hamburg, uh, Cologne, Munich, on and on and on are, are, yes. are, are, fa- are facing this. Uh, yes, and during the campaign, we got a lot of support, uh, and not just verbal support from our cities. For example, in the phase where we were collecting signatures, and we were collecting signatures for a referendum during a very bad weather in COVID times. So it was actually objectively a difficult time to collect signatures during the lockdown. And nonetheless, we collected more signatures than any referendum in Berlin ever. And it and, was like 350,000... Uh, yeah, over 360,000 signatures. And you and needed only was, 150 to, to... Exactly. And this was uh, possible also, also among others, uh, because of support we have uh, uh, Germany-wide. I mean, we have groups of people, for example, young people from Fridays for Future, who would come to Berlin for weekends just to collect signatures with us. 
just even if they don't live in Berlin, the cost doesn't affect them in a personal level directly, but they recognize this amazing political opportunity. Now, in terms of transferability of this to different German cities, it is, um, on the one hand, it is a little bit tricky. I mean, Berlin is a very privileged position because it is a city and a land in the federal system at the same time, which gives it uh, more legal powers. And also traditionally, these are the cities and not the countryside that are more aware and more affected of the housing problem. So the fact that Berlin politically is by itself and not with the surrounding countryside surely made it easier for us to uh, to reach this high percentage of uh, support. So on the one hand, um, there's maybe only two other cities, um, Bremen and Hamburg, that could theory do it directly because they have uh, they are also land at the same time of course let's not forget that um, in the future i mean article 15 can be and could be introduced on the federal level so this is something that could be done of course countrywide if the government of germany uh, would be willing to do so that's first second is that we drew enormous attention to the fact that this Article 15, the possibility of socialization, exists in the German system. And technically, one can do it not only to land uh, and therefore housing, but also uh, one could socialize with this clause uh, natural resources and even crucial branches of industry. These were the three categories uh, that, um, that the article directly speaks to. So it's land, natural resources and crucial branches of uh, of. Um, of industry. This, uh, this is not accidental because this article, I mean, the whole constitution was written after the war, uh, where everyone in Germany and all the legislators of all the sides of political spect uh, spectrum, they had freshly in mind, for example, the ways in which big business support supported Hitler in uh, coming to power. So there was this legal term missbraucht wirtschaftliche Macht, which means the misuse of economic power against the society. And this article is one of the legal clauses that is supposed to give government an exit door when, when we see this sort of misusing of economic power against, uh, against the people. Uh, but because the article mentioned natural resources, we got a lot of interest and a lot of collaboration from ecological movement because we are in the middle of global housing crisis. We are also in the middle of a climate crisis. And uh, this legal clause also opens a way uh, for socialization of uh, natural resources or resources that should be particularly protected from the ecological point of view. So I personally would not be surprised if uh, within the next month or years we will maybe see the beginning of a movement that uh, tries to use this clause um, to tackle climate change. Wow. It's cool, Leilani. It is cool. And um, one thing, Joanna, I'll remind you of, which you probably don't need to be reminded, but um, internationally, the government of Germany is one of the strongest supporters of the human right to housing. And they support the mandate of the Special Rapporteur on the right to housing and uh, really defend the right to housing in international fora. So we could expect then that they should respect an interpretation of your constitution that's in keeping with their international human rights obligations on the right to housing. So 
one, they could be encouraged to adopt national legislation, as you suggested, uh, that mirrors uh, the legislation you're proposing, um, because that legislation would be in keeping with their international human rights obligations around the right to housing, but also that they shouldn't go to court and try to defeat your legislation when defeating it would be contrary to the right to housing and their international obligations. So we should stay in conversation <laughs> about that and we'll keep putting pressure on them. <laughs> uh, absolutely, I agree with you and I, I think it would be a good, um, it, it would be a definitely a good uh, way if uh, all the countries, especially powerful countries like Germany, would keep the same standards uh, they claim internationally at home. So, um, Precisely. of course. <laughs> I would say another thing here, Leilani, we have some old friends who've been really active here in Berlin, the Achelius Company. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, uh, it's on the surface a Swedish company, but they are based in Bahamas and Cyprus. Um, they are big here in Berlin. There is like people really campaigning against them. Yesterday, they announced that they they're sold everything in Germany, they were big in Berlin and Hamburg. They're also moving out of Sweden, where they're big, like in my town, Malmo, for example. And they're stepping out with a lot of money in, in their pockets, which, of course, their investors will be happy because that's what that's what they do. They build these packages of a lot of apartments and then they they fix them in a way so they can step out with a lot of, of more money. Uh, they're selling to a Norwegian-Swedish company called Heimstaden, which is actually has its headquarter in Malmo. In the board of Heimstaden is the former Swedish prime minister, uh, Frederick Reinfeldt, who is from the, well, the Swedish version of the Conservative Party. So that you have a former prime minister in the board of a company who's moving in uh, now in Berlin and now becoming really big in Sweden. They're now becoming really the, the big dominant. And remember who did Blackstone sell 40,000 apartments in the Czech Republic to? Yes, to the same uh, Heimstaden. So we see this kind of, these companies are moving around, shopping around. Uh, Akelos obviously have already made the profits they need and they, and they said, now we're going for Canada because Canada is a great place. So what do you see? I mean, this is like, I mean, Joanna, you're also up against these companies. How do you see them? Oh, Achilles um, um, is on our list to expropriation. Uh, they also own over 3,000 apartments in Berlin. And I saw this uh, message that, uh, or the, the news that they are selling yesterday. And um, what can I say? I'm glad that Achilles endorsed the statement with which I opened this uh, podcast on 26th of September. The privatization of housing in Germany is uh, over or in Berlin. And uh, of course they're selling because we are, there's this, and you know, here we, we're coming back to this maybe interplay of, of law and, and more popular insurgency because, you know, Berlin has, of course, a long tradition of beautiful housing protests and all kinds of legal, paralegal, semi-legal and illegal, you know, squatting, like we, we're covering the whole spectrum from law to, to, to non-law. But... Um, one of the um, one of the sayings or uh, banners that you could always see in Berlin during the protests of you know of of squads and of the Häuser, so this uh, big alternative housing communities, 
was we are your risk capital. Berlin bleibt Risikokapital, which was, you know, very consciously also using this uh, language of investment against and being proud of it. Yes, like what we showed again and again is that Berlin is a risk capital. <laughs> if you are global speculator, if you just want to milk our social good for profit, by all means, do not invest in Berlin. We want uh, investment in Berlin to be too risky for you. Mr. and Mrs. Speculator. So goodbye, <laughs> Achilles. That's a good message. Leilani, I think I we should. It. This has been an amazing conversation. I wish you were here yesterday because the, the, there were so many young activists. I mean, and, and you, you, we know what it means for young people to, to look for a home, to start a new life. And, and we talked here about the student housing and how tough it is to enter at all into the housing market. So yeah. the young people here, they were, the, the happiness was amazing. And I, when I walked home, there was a like, big parade of hundreds of bicyclists with the, with the flags of the campaign, biking home, to, I mean, biking to a big party, I'm sure. Uh, so it's, it's a big win. And then there is a lot of energy in, in this movement. It's not the old tenant movement. This is something completely different. And I think there is also here, there is an inspiration for, for other movements in other countries. So friends out there, listen to this, share this podcast with, with friends and share the information from the, 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 the campaign that Joanna has been working for. I actually tweeted yesterday an article that you wrote, Joanna, and a lot of people have been picking it up. So uh, please give us material to share on to to our followers and and so we can keep this going of course yeah the article you shared yesterday is almost historical i wrote it at the very beginning of the campaign <laughs> so it's nice to just to explain to english speakers what is it about um, in detail so yeah i think um, i need to write an update now you have to and we will we're happy to share it yes yeah leilani we are podcasting again here we are. Yeah. Starting all over again. Season <laughs> three. Yes, exactly. Season <laughs> three. Now we have, I mean, so you listeners out there, if you have ideas that we should talk about, send us ideas. Uh, we want to talk about the China development, uh, the Everglades, the big bubble, bubble, the bubbles of the bubble. Will, the grande. Yeah. The grande. Will, will the Communist Party save the speculative capitalism? It's kind of interesting. And, and more to come. Um, how do we fund this show, Leilani? I know it's a boring question, but do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> I'm scratching my head. Um, we have a Patreon account. Uh, people can join us by signing on to Patreon, looking for pushback talks, and donating just even a small amount. Keeps us going because we do this for free. Yeah. And we, we actually had a new patron coming in. It was a a young man from New Zealand, and oh, he sent us he sends us one dollar a month, and he wrote like to apologize. Sorry, I don't have more money, but I come on, we love you. It's amazing. It's so beautiful, and if everybody, will, I mean, if you don't have so much money, it doesn't really matter. We also need friends and uh, friends who want to 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 stay on. So even if you don't have much money, join us, and it we, we will be 
happier and, and stronger. If you have tons of money, send us a ton of money. I mean, that's also possible. <laughs> but We won't say no. We won't say no. <laughs> I mean, it's people, somebody wrote to us all the time, oh, you talk too much about money. But, you know, um, we also have rents to pay. <laughs> and, uh, and, and sound technicians to pay. Yeah. So there is, there are <laughs> salaries. Salary is a good, good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, so there is, yes. there is cost connected to do this, but we've been doing it because we are crazy and also passionate. And we like to That's talk right. to each other and, and we love to meet people like Joanna Kuzniak, who is now being with us here in Berlin. So thank you very much, Joanna, for being on Pushback Talks and Leilani. We will we'll be back soon again. Thank you. We will. Thanks, Joanna. <laughs> thank you. Lovely take to care. You. See you. Okay. Ciao. Goodbye. Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To watch Push, visit pushthefilm.com. You can also support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash pushbacktalks. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>